Welcome to the Freedom Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are investing in your relationship with the Lord by listening to this message. Check out our YouTube channel for a complete log of all of our sermons. If you would like to know more about FC, visit our website at www.freedomfamily.us. God bless and remember that the best is yet to come. All right. Good morning, Freedom Church. How are y'all doing today? All right, so I, I got to say, I've, so I was backstage during that last song, and I got, to chan- got the chance to hear each one of you sing it. Y'all sounded absolutely beautiful. Can you give yourselves a round of applause before we jump in? That was so good. So if we hadn't had a chance to meet, my name is Wes Buchanan. I'm the Next Steps pastor here at Freedom Church. You've probably uh, seen me sort of hanging out over next to the coffee shop in that corner off to the side, but it's actually the Next Steps area. So it's an area that if you were looking to get involved, get plugged in, uh, find the next steps in your walk with Christ, you would head over there and we'd have a conversation. You'd probably see me over there talking to folks, but I am so glad that you guys have joined us today. So I want to talk about, real quick, our lead and founding pastor, Pastor Terrell, and his wonderful wife, Miss Shanda. So i got, I got to give a little bit of honor to them because I've said this up here before, and I usually say this in conversations when I'm talking about uh, this church to other people, but there's so much responsibility attached to standing up here and bringing a word to the congregation. So we, we go into study, the Holy Spirit gives us a word, and we, we, we unpack it, we try to put it into a form that we can present and that you guys can understand and you can take and you can grow in your knowledge and use it as, to, uh, to build upon your life. And we can mess up. We can uh, misinterpret something, we can misspeak, and we can to- totally skew what you might be thinking about God's Word. So there's a, there's a fair amount of responsibility, but Pastor Terrell, over, the, over 20 years now, we can say over because we celebrated our 20th anniversary at Freedom Church uh, back in February. So for over 20 years, him and Miss Chanda have faithfully led this church that God has given them the responsibility to shepherd. And I'm so excited for him, even with the distraction of... This morning, one of two grandbabies have entered into this world from his oldest daughter, Lily, in Ava, Missouri. Yeah, give a round of applause. That's awesome. So, and we are T minus imminent for the other one to join, which is kind of cool because if this one joins, not only will uh, the, the baby that's in Ava have this birthday, but Chloe's baby will also have this birthday, but Chloe will also have this birthday. So we'll have three birthdays one day. We're going for it because the odds are just amazing and it'd be exciting and we can all celebrate with it. So uh, if we can, let's uh, give a round of applause to Pastor Terrell for just faithfully leading this church. So identity crisis. This has been a very, very powerful series, and I think that it's one that probably couldn't come at a better time in our nation's history. There's been lots of crazy things. In recent years, they were, they were wild and they're crazy, and they, they were turning everything that we had come to understand about who we were, who this, what this world was like, what society was like, our friends was like. It turned everything that we have come to know on their ear. And I'm not just talking about everybody's popular whipping post, COVID. I mean, I think we can all agree that we're, we're somewhat past that now. We still hear about people getting it, but it's to nowhere near the same degree as it was before. But I'm not talking about that. That so much has happened in our world and everything that we viewed ourselves, for many of us, was stripped away for at least a time, if not even up to this point now. And we desperately grasp for something, for anything to fill the void that was left. And it's left us a little bit empty because the only thing that was left was the things that the world was offering us on an open platter. But we know that the things that this world offer is hollow. Many of us forgot that God had already called us his and that our identity was what he said it was. He had already named us. He already told us what we are, who we are, and who we were meant to be. And it's not this thing that the world has crafted to fill its place. So during the past four weeks, Pastor T has been talking or taking us through a deep dive through the book of Ephesians, which is what works really good about this book in particular for a series. It's, it's fairly short. It's only six chapters. But Paul did a really good job in these six chapters in distilling it down and telling us without any colorful language about how we should be and the way we should carry ourselves as children of God, what our identity is actually supposed to be. So in week one, Pastor T kicked off this great reminder of a series by looking at Ephesians 1 and explaining God's view of you 
and not what the world would have you believe. And I, would, I think we would all agree that this is, was a very important and a really good place to start as we kicked off this series. Week two, we looked at what the true impact of Jesus' sacrifice means and the benefits of actually having our identity in him as opposed to anything that we could create for ourselves because he is unmoving. He's a rock. Week three, Pastor uh, continued on with chapters three and four, and he unpacked our identities as Christians in the church and what those are supposed to look like. And as a little bit of an Easter egg, if you were here or you checked us out online, and this is all up there so everyone could check it out, apparently Pastor T's daughters uh, refer to him as a metrosexual, which is hilarious, and you probably don't want to remind him of that, but we all, the, we all have that memory of it, and maybe every now and again just throw it back out on him when he wears the really nice shirts, which he always wears. So again, that's just for us, a little bit of an Easter egg. So last week, we learned about what our Christian identity is supposed to look like out in the world as well as living a life by the Holy Spirit's power. And that was a very exciting uh, sermon, because now we're starting to look at this, this gift of God's Holy Spirit that lives within each and every one of us that call upon His name, and what that actually means. So if you're joining us for the very first time, either you're here or online, I want to encourage you to go to our YouTube channel. It's Freedom Church TN. It's really easy to find. You key that in. It's our little green F logo. Go check it out. All these other sermons that I just talked about, including the Easter egg, it's all up there on YouTube. So you can go check those out, including literal years of content that you can go and you can check out. It's really good on your commute, but it's Freedom Church TN on YouTube. Go check it out. I promise you, if you allow the truth of God's Word to penetrate your heart, it will be a blessing in your lives. So before we jump in and before I really start with this, uh, this sermon, I want to go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. So let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this time today. Lord, thank you for being so good. When the, when the world is crazy and it seems to be falling apart around us, Lord, thank you for being so good. When we don't understand the things that we see, Lord, the things that we have experienced with family and friends, Lord, you are so good. You remain so faithful through the middle of every single thing that we seem to encounter, Lord. I pray that you are a part of our time today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as I speak, that you could use the words to loose the chains, to break down the walls, to open the doors that would cause people from experiencing you fully so they can actually come to know and trust you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for everything you do and all that you continue to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so like I mentioned before, last week we talked about living a life led by the Holy Spirit and how that influences our relationships, and actually, a uh, pastor talked about the, uh, the relationships that we have with our significant others, so husbands with your wives, wives with your husbands, and how that's supposed to go. But relationships go far beyond, in the household, that marital setting. So, we are to understand how the Holy Spirit leading our lives, guiding our actions, is supposed to, as parents, uh, guide the relationship that we have with our kids. And kids, likewise, by leading a, or living a life led by the Holy Spirit, it influences the relationships that you have with your parents. So let's take a look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not promote, provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, there is a responsibility that each of us as parents have. And if you're in this room and uh, children are in your future, marriage in your future, and that's just sort of the natural progression, one day this responsibility will fall on you. Now, this responsibility is one is that it is our job to raise our children with good, biblically-based lessons. We are to teach them about this man that we follow named Jesus, the Messiah, the one that if we teach them and we, we, we teach them this, this truth of the gospel, we're setting up a firm foundation, a rock for them to stand and to build the rest of their life upon. This world offers shifting sand, unstable ground. If you build upon this, it's surely to fall. But we're giving them something that no matter what storm blows in their life, they will be able to withstand it. There's a responsibility attached to it. And this is the simplest form of discipleship. But I would argue it's one of the most rewarding. 
You get to see your children adopt this lifestyle. They get to have this relationship with our Lord and our Savior. And you get to see that. And this, this form of discipleship, if you're, if you're kind of new to this whole Christianity thing, and you're still raising your kids up right because you're just doing what you, what you know feels right, but you don't know how to go onto the world and do this with your friends, it's the same thing. You have relationships, you have conversations. It takes a little bit of a different form, but you're still speaking truth and life into their lives and teaching them about this man named Jesus. And you're modeling how we're supposed to walk this life by your actions. That's discipleship. If we look at Proverbs 22.6, it says, Direct your children unto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, parents, this is the promise that we have to cling to. For many of us, we have those wayward children that we just don't understand what happened. You don't understand why they won't listen to you. You don't understand why they're making the decisions that they're making. And despite your best efforts, you're wondering, you're second-guessing everything. You're wondering if the discipline that you gave was, in, was uh, taken as intended to hurt them or to harm them or to uh, insult them or to push them down as opposed to trying to correct course because of the, the, the lessons that you had to learn when you were their age. You're not sure where you went wrong, but I know that this can be a painful season. But we have to cling to what Proverbs 22.6 says. We have to know that there's a truth beyond us, and it's a, firmly founded, or a, it's a firm foundation for everything that we have to teach them. And if you're still a parent in the throes of raising them up, sincerely evaluate how you respond to your kids. Right? We're not uh, called to be pushovers. That's not what I'm saying. But we do have to make sure that the lessons and instructions that we're giving are based in Scripture, are something that Jesus would have us teach our children. That's why it can be so important and why it will be so powerful. Now, keep in mind, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I got this whole parenting thing figured out. I'm a pretty young parent, right? My oldest is 12. You know, I haven't raised her up through the craziness of all the teen years. Like, we're just getting ready to get this thing started. But then I also have an almost two-year-old. Big gap. Yes, I understand how children are made. But I'm still figuring this thing out. One day, by God's grace, I hope that I do. But it'll likely be when I have grandchildren. And then when they come over to my house, I can spoil them to death, send them back home because my kids have to learn these lessons now too. And so that's what we get to do. But there's something that we, it, it, it all goes back to the way that we're, we're doing. We have to constantly be evaluating, tweaking, adjusting based on God's teaching. And as we think about our lives, there are two places that we spend the majority of our time. Yes, there is the home life. But for many of us, we spend just as much, if not even more time, in our workplaces. I mean, after all, when we're at home, a lot of the time that we spend there is spent sleeping. And we do have the weekends to spend with our families for some of us. Some of us, we work on the weekends, so it can be a little bit more difficult. But when we're in the workplace, the gloves don't come off just because you clock in. You are still supposed to lead a life led by the Holy Spirit. You're still supposed to let Him guide our actions, our thoughts, our conversations. We can't go off saying those crass jokes because we're showing them what a Christian looks like. We still have a responsibility, even in the workplace. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So I can hear your thoughts already. Masters and slaves aren't really a thing anymore, right? Owning slaves is actually illegal in this country, so that makes this null and void, right? I'm sorry, but the answer is no. It doesn't make it null and void. Almost everyone answers to someone. Even if you are a Fortune 500 business owner, CEO, whatever, you answer to a board of some form. In fact, I would say 
The bigger you get, the bigger your business gets, the more eyes that you have on you. Suddenly, you're answering for a lot of your actions. In fact, you don't get to just choose different things. You have to answer for your decisions. So just because you move up that corporate ladder doesn't mean that you are exempt from the way that you're supposed to respond. Because like I said, there's a lot more eyes on you. And the higher you get, if you happen to fall, you take a lot more people down with you. You have to remember that. As we go to our individual jobs, we will most certainly encounter frustrations. That's just, that's a fact of life. Whether they're by a mistake that we made, by something we had nothing to do with, by the people that we work with, oftentimes frustrations will find their way to us. It's how we respond that will influence the narrative that someone is building about you, what a professing Christian looks like. And this is the part where it gets a little bit dangerous. It also influences the story that they're building about this person we follow named Jesus. Is that how he acted? Is that how he would want their people to act? So you have to be very careful about how you carry yourself. Work enthusiastically as though you are working for the Lord. Show his kindness. Show his goodness. Slaves and masters alike. Remember, we are in a world where not everyone knows Jesus. They don't know the promise of salvation. Oftentimes, they don't even know how they're supposed to act, so you can't be upset that someone is acting not like a Christian when they're not a Christian. You can't be upset at that. But we have a standard that we are to carry ourselves as. As the old Christian saying goes, you may, not, you may be the only Bible that someone gets their ch- the chance to experience. So what story are you telling? The workplace is a great mission field, but more often than not, People won't care that you have anything to say unless your actions and your conversations give them a reason to lean in. So from home life to work life, a close relationship with God's Holy Spirit can guide the way that we carry ourselves. It can actually point a lot of people toward Jesus if we live in those moments well. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, is is very good at breaking down all of this in terms that anyone can understand. Like I said, it's only six chapters. He didn't have a lot of time to really beat around the bush. He gets right to the point. But the question then becomes, what happens between point A and point B? What happens when we're not being led by, when we're being led by the Holy Spirit in the home or we're being led by the Holy Spirit at work or even maybe even church. We come to church on Sunday. It's a pretty safe place here. We're all seeking after this man named Jesus together. And if you're coming in here and you're trying to try out this church, it's a whole congregation of people surrounding you to help you and to love on you and to all point toward Jesus together. It's a pretty safe place to be, right? So what about all the other places? What about the world in which we operate? Let's check out 1 John 5, 19, the way that it puts it, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. We operate as Christians behind enemy lines. So how can we ever hope to stand a chance as a mere man or as a mere woman in the middle of that? Well, it's actually rather simple. We're not alone. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. When we've claimed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we've allowed him into his heart, he has sent his Holy Spirit to reside within us, to give us a strength, to guide us, to help us to make decisions. That's how we do it. We are not alone in this broken world. And Paul puts it in another way. We equip ourselves with the whole armor of God as we walk out into this world. Now, this is an exciting subject for me. If you look at my business card, and this is true, down the side of it says, I am Iron Man. So I am Iron Man. It's so my business card. It has to be true, right? So we're talking about armor. I get excited. This is really cool. So check out Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. 
One thing to understand about this illustration that Paul goes into about the armor of God is his relationship with the Roman soldiers. So he was intimately aware of who they were, the tour de force that they represented. Like these were highly trained, skilled, arms to the teeth soldiers. And he spent much of his past life as Saul persecuting Christians. And he would have had to work with Roman law to make sure he stayed on the right side of it. So that would create situations where he'd be uh, encountering Roman soldiers. He knew them. If we actually drill a little bit further, Paul wrote to the, uh, this letter to the church at Ephesus, including a few others, while he was under arrest and he was being held captive in Rome. And so because of the high-profile nature of who Paul was when he was under arrest, he, wouldn't, he would, have, would have been thrown into a prison. He would have been on a form of house arrest. And house arrest in the ancient times, they didn't have a, a, a radio transmitter around their ankle to let them know if they've left the house. No, 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 no. They were chained to a highly trained soldier that would make sure that they would not leave the house. And because they, were, they would have done this, they would actually have been towards the center of Rome, probably in the soldier barracks or close to them. Like I said, Paul knew the ruthless effectiveness of the Roman soldier. So if you think about that in the natural, the, what they represented as warriors in the flesh and blood, what if you took that same idea and you put it in the spiritual and what that would represent? So use that as we're ta- unpacking this, the idea of the armor of God. So I want to break each piece down element by element, because they are all just as important as the other. So Ephesians 6, 4, and 13 starts this whole thing out. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So remember, everything in the Bible has purpose and meaning. And so the belt of the Roman soldier in that he would have worn was a critical support piece for everything that would have followed, because they weren't making carbon fiber this and lightweight that. They were wearing Heavy metal and leather, it weighed a lot, and these were effective soldiers needed to be on their feet, so they had this thick leather belt that they would have worn. And this thick leather belt would have done a similar job to if you lift weights and you're at the gym, you wear the belt so you don't throw your back out. If you work in a warehouse or you have a job where you're lifting heavy things all the time, you were supplied one to wear so you don't throw your back out. It was a support piece, and yes, you could hang your sword and other things from it. But it was, it was able to support everything else that the soldier was able to carry. From this belt would have hung tassels that would have had uh, metal ornamentation attached to it. Now, the, the ornamentation was decorative, but also that with the leather provided support to the legs so the soldier could continue to keep moving even in the middle of battle. It would protect their legs. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything for us. It is our support. The realization that he went to the cross for our sins, he died there and he rose again three days later, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and that in doing so, we are in right standing with God the Father, and we're able to spend eternity eternity with him. That is everything for us. It gives us access to God's Holy Spirit. It's his power that gives us the support and the strength to keep going through all circumstances. Much like the belt of the Roman soldier, this holds up everything else to come. It is the linchpin for everything. It holds it all together. Now, the body armor of the Roman soldier, and some translations call it the breastplate, would have referred to the upper body armor that the soldier would have worn at all times. Now, this armor was awesome. This armor was was, uh, strips of interlocked metal plates that overlapped and allowed for full range of motion, held together with leather straps. It would have covered his chest, his back, his sides, would have come down his shoulders. And not only did it look impressive, but it was very effective at warding off any attacks that would make, make it past his defense. Even if he was distracted looking over here and something were to hit him from behind, he's able to pivot and react because it keeps him protected. It kept all of his vital organs protected so they could, in the middle of the battle, when he's totally surrounded, he can keep fighting. Similar, we are to wear God's righteousness to guard our hearts. See, our hearts can be tricked. 
And unchecked emotions can cause us to make decisions that are otherwise not of our nature and and, and decisions that actually don't make a lot of sense. And we can go totally off the deep end with the way that we are because of the way our heart makes us feel without anything in place to help it keep keep it uh, keep it pointed true north. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? God's righteousness in his stature gives us something unwavering. Something that has stood the test of the time. It will never, has never changed. It is a rock. It is a firm foundation. It is what we build everything upon. It is something that will guard guard us, our hearts, from all of the fleeting pursuits that society throws after us that we need to follow or that it says that we need to follow. It will guard us from that, and it will keep us anchored to something firm. Continuing on with Ephesians 6.15, I love the way the CSB version puts this. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. So the Roman soldiers weren't just the police at the time. While they did fulfill that role, they did go on patrols and whatnot, they were warriors. They were conquerors. When Caesar said, I need you to take that stronghold, the soldiers would band together, they would formulate a plan, and they would mobilize, and they would go as a unit, well-trained, and they would take that stronghold. The Roman Empire of this time was a force to be reckoned with. Not many could stand against it. So the Roman soldiers would take direction from Caesar, and they would go. We have the most important message that the world has ever known, or ever will know. And there are many in this current day and age that would like to see that stomped out. They would like to see the gospel of Christ stomped out. And as it burns as an ember threatening to engulf the world, the truth of the gospel, people want to see that stamped out, ground into the earth, never to be seen from again, forever blanketing the world in darkness. And they don't even know they're doing it, but that is what's happening. Jesus died for all that we can be made in right standing with God. This is good news. It is news that the world desperately needs to know. And like Caesar directs his soldiers, we are directed by God to go out into this world. The Great Commission tells us to go, to teach, to baptize. We are to be sandaled with the the peace that allows us to do that following the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And we head out into this world and we make sure that our mission is fulfilled. Ephesians 6.16 continues with, In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So the the Roman shield was a key, key part of their loadout. It was a pretty impressive thing. It was a fairly large rectangular shield, radius corners, and it was curved to the left and to the right. And the reason it was curved to the left and the right, so as a soldier is advancing, no matter what hits it, sword, arrows, people, it's pushing it to the left and to the right. It allows them to keep moving forward. It's not directing it under their feet to be a stumbling block. It's directed them to the side so they can always keep moving forward. And while it didn't happen very often, the individual soldier may have to fall back, not because he's afraid, not because he's running, but because he needs to call on reinforcements. And this is what's a cool part about the Roman shield, is that this shield could interlock with the brother in arms just right next to you. And that could in turn interlock with somebody else. Several could be interlocked together, and it would create this formation called a testudo, which means tortoise. It would create a shell, a plate of armor around a massive group of people, all pursuing the same thing. So while the enemy's attacks may be able to take individuals off, you're not going to take this wall of people that are so motivated to get to that goal. That's what they would do. In the bleakest, bleakest and trying of times that we will face on our own, we can easily be picked off by the enemy. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that will trip us up. So by ourselves, we can't do that. But our faith keeps us engaged. It keeps us moving. It gives us a promise that's greater. When everyone is telling us, nope, you're doing it wrong. Nope, the Holy Spirit didn't tell you to do that. Nope, you shouldn't say that because you might offend this person. When they keep telling us that we shouldn't be doing what we're supposed to be doing, our faith in what we're doing is correct and we're following the Lord and Savior. 
That's what keeps us moving. It keeps us energized. And when we become overwhelmed, much like the Roman soldier, we fall back for reinforcements. We band together with our Christian brothers and sisters, our prayer warriors that are in our corner, ready and willing at all times to go to bat for us, to go to their knees, pray for us, to stand with us, to talk with us, to help encourage us. They're right there, ready and willing, and we can band together, and together we lock our shields, and we can fend off those fiery arrows that the enemy throws at us, our past that the enemy tries to throw at us, the garbage, the rocks, whatever, and we're able to continue moving forward toward a common goal for the kingdom of God. And lastly, Ephesians 6, 17, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet that would have been worn by the Roman soldier was crafted out of metal, and it was designed in a way to deflect sword blows. The, the helmet would have had this brow of metal that would protrude out, so as a sword would have hit it, it wouldn't get anywhere close to the face, and it was curved to allow it to scrape off to the sides. Even the back of the helmet would have had a swooping metal piece to deflect and skirt things away from the neck, the face, vital areas. And the helmet also had these side pieces that were hinged that would come down and protect the sides of your face. Now, on occasion, in the heat of battle, this, this actually could start to you know, hinder your vision to the left and to the right. And so the way the Roman soldier would have counteracted this is they would have kept the target right in front of them. They would have stayed focused on that. They wouldn't allow the target to flank them. They would, allow, they would keep their eye on the target. They would keep focus right there where they needed to be at. As a soldier, as a warrior, they knew how to do that. It was instinctual for them. Much like God's righteousness guards our heart, our salvation through him guards our head. It keeps invading and distracting thoughts at bay, and it keeps our minds focused with laser-like accuracy. Keeping our target in front of us, that was something that was instinctual for the Roman soldier. What this does for us as Christians is we keep our target in front of us. It keeps us from getting distracted from what's going on to the left and to the right. No longer are we looking at this church. Why do they have a congregation of 3,000 people or more? Why doesn't our church have that? Why isn't our pastor as funny as this one over here? I don't understand what's going on. They just baptized 500 people. Why did we only baptize 100? It doesn't matter because there is no church in this city, in this state, in this country. There's no lone church that can handle everybody in this world. That's the way we're supposed to do. As long as the message never changes, who cares about the methods? We are all pursuing lost people, reaching them to know God. And it's his strength that allows us to do it. But we have to keep pushing forward. And we can't get distracted from what we're seeing and the successes of our brothers and sisters. It's not a challenge. We should be celebrating this. A Roman soldier seeing somebody take out an enemy, it, oh, I wish I would have taken out that enemy. He had a cool-looking weapon. That doesn't happen. Good job. Let's keep going. Because you're on mission. The sword utilized by these soldiers was an incredibly effective and precise weapon. And oftentimes, the sword that they would carry actually had a classic Coke bottle shape. The reason it was done like that is a straight sword could bounce off and glance off the armor of the time. But what that would allow it to do is that curve would actually help find purchase and it would almost grab and allow the slice, the cuts, to, make, to be more effective. And this was, would have been the sidearm of the time, much like a soldier has his standard sidearms. That's what these soldiers would have had as well, and they were well trained in exactly how to use them. Likewise, the Word of God is an incredibly effective and precise weapon against the tactics of the enemy. But I want you to hear something. We are wielding a sword. This is not a hammer. Did you catch that? Approaching someone to strike them over the head out of love or truth likely isn't going to get you very far. The, the man on the, pre, on the street corner preaching turn or burn likely doesn't have a lot of fruit to show for his efforts. Now, he may be saying some truth, but he's not approaching it out of love. And people are going to ignore him and walk past him and call him crazy because they don't care about this man. 
Because all he's trying to do is judge them. We are to model our actions after Jesus. Meeting people where they are and showing love. We are to be honest, absolutely. That goes without saying. But like Pastor T always says, people won't care what you know until they know that you care. The way you show that you care is you show them God's love. Not hate, not bitterness, not judgment, love. Paul was very intentional about the way he describes the armor of God. And, you know, in viewing it through the, uh, the tour de force of that time of the Roman soldier. And there is a measure of protection that this armor allows for. But if you'll note, the language that Paul uses isn't one that necessarily talks about safety. Did you pick up on that? If safety were the goal, he would have used different words. There's a lot more safe things that would have been experienced during that time. He would have used words like, you know, don the fortress walls of righteousness, raise the gate of truth, hide yourself behind the barricade of the spirit. But that doesn't work because that's not in line with what Jesus called us to do. Even Jesus himself didn't have a place to stay. He stayed on the road seeking the lost because he knew there was only a certain amount of time that he had to teach the things he needed to teach. We're not immortal either. We only have a certain amount of time to go and to teach the things that we need to teach. We are on mission, and we're behind enemy lines. And we are to be moving, going where God calls us, seeking the lost. All of the POWs that fell victim to the enemy's traps, we need to pick them up and show them we have a better way. We can help you. We can get you cleaned up. We can support you because we are all human. We make dumb decisions at times, and there's no one in this room or listening online that's immune to that. But we, are not, we don't have to live in that. The world would have us keep us down. And those decisions, those bad decisions that we made, that's all we are. God says something different, and it's up to us to pick them up and to show them that better way. Much like the people of the time would not have been to mistake a Roman soldier walking down the street, people should be able to tell who we are by the way we carry ourselves, by the way that we talk to others out in this world. We are called to stand apart. In my mind, as I was preparing for the sermon... I couldn't help but frame this ancient soldier against its modern-day equivalent, the American soldier. I know you're thinking, whoa, whoa, hang on a second. This is, this is armor and swords against you know, carbon fiber, body armor, and uh, advanced weaponry. Understand, the Roman Empire was the most technologically advanced empire of that time. And their soldiers were equally as equipped, highly advanced, in both in tactics and in gear. So again, as I'm thinking about this, my mind went to the American soldier. And I went back to this a younger version of myself. And this is a, this is a true story. In high school, uh, over in Hendersonville, we used to have the recruiters would come in. I imagine they probably still do that. And they would set up tables and you have a chance to talk to them. And uh, I noticed something on the, the patch on the shoulder, the right shoulder of one of the soldiers that was in there. I noticed the American flag. And I, I had to ask a question. It was, a, it was an innocent enough question. And, um, but I, I needed to know because I was curious. I said, Why... Why is your American flag backwards? He probably had heard that before. He's probably answered that numerous times. But he simply responded, kindly enough, it's not backwards. He's advancing. Growing up, you see pictures of the flag in school. You see it in books. Even in film, television, whatever, when you see the American flag, it's always shown the same way. The field of stars, upper left, the rest of the banner with the, uh, the red and the white streaking out to the right. That's the way we've come to look at it. It's the way we understand the right way it should be. And I think somewhere along the line, the same thing has probably happened with Christianity. People forgot what a Christian was supposed to look like. You see, the world has drawn new pictures. It has created a new narrative, a new story that is pushed out by all popular forms of media into the eyes of those who would consume it. And you've heard the words before, 
It's, it's you know, we are uh, hypocritical, we're judgmental, we're self-righteousness, we're self-righteous. That is the picture that the world views us as. But you and I are soldiers in the kingdom of God. I want to show you something. This is what's known as the Christian flag. It was created in 1897 in New York. Now, this flag is unique. This flag doesn't represent a nation. It doesn't represent a country, but it does represent the kingdom of God. There's no skin color attached to this. There's no language attached to this. But what it has is this field of white. This field of white stands for purity. This field of blue that you see here, it represents the waters of baptism. And you'll notice the red cross within the field of blue. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. It represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you and for me bring us back into right standing with God the Father to allow us to be, to spend eternity with him forever. Something we didn't deserve. But that's what this flag represents. One thing to note about this flag is that it is, you know, it was, it was created in America, but it was also created and structured very similar to the American flag. You see, it has the field of blue in the upper left corner much like the American flag does. I think we're at a point in time where we need to show the world that the picture that they've created of what a Christian is supposed to look like is all wrong. You see, much like the soldier told me all those years ago, we are to be advancing. We are to be listening to the Holy Spirit. We need to be taking up the battle flag that we have as Christians, and we need to be following the Holy Spirit, going to the lost. We need to be going to the broken, to the people who need him the most. We need to be telling them that you don't have to clean yourself up to make it to the cross. You don't have to clean yourself up before we'll ever talk to you or love you. You are already loved beyond you what you could ever imagine for yourself. And we're going to pick them up and show them this love of this man that we follow named Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's what we're called to do as soldiers in the army of God. We were given this free gift of salvation through Jesus, but we carry a responsibility that's attached to it. We live in a world that has attacked us and caused many to forget who they, were, they are called to be. They've succumbed to mental anguish and they don't know how to get past it. It constantly plagues their life and their thoughts and everything that they are. Many have even lost the will to live and I don't care what statistic you look at, it all points up. It's suicide's on the rise. This is a broken world, and people would choose to leave it rather than just enjoy it because they lost what makes it meaningful. This is a world that desperately needs to know that we, this man that we follow named Jesus, the Messiah. It's on us to tell others about him, to disciple them, to walk this journey with them, to show them that there is a better way than anything that this world out there beyond these doors could ever offer in their entire lives. Let's don this full armor of God and let's change the narrative that this world has crafted about what a Christian is supposed to be like. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus in this broken world don't mind, bow your heads. And for those who are online, I invite you to do the same.
In a room this size, there's no doubt that there have, are some who have lost their way in this craziness that seems to come with every generation. It seems like every generation that passes, it gets a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more aggressive, and there are constantly people that fall to that. And perhaps you finally tried this church thing for the very first time, hoping desperately to find the thing that makes it all make sense, that gives purpose to the life that you live, because right now you feel lost and you feel broken. And I would imagine we have many parents in here as well whose children have adopted every title that the world has offered them and including the ones it has forced upon them. And they've made it their own. It's what they hang their identity on. And it's made them make decisions that, they don't, that you don't understand and it's not in right standing and it caused you so many late nights where you just can't find the peace of sleep. I know this season is difficult. But I know that there's an entire church family here that is there for you, ready to pray with you, pray for you, support you, talk to you, love on you. But it requires you to open up and treat this congregation like a family and not just other attendees on the Sunday entertainments. We have to open up to one another. We have to be honest with one another because that's how we grow stronger. Father, thank you for the wisdom that your words give us to live by. They are truly a gift worth sharing. It seems like every time we turn around, the world ratchets his attacks up on all the people that we know and love around us. Today, Lord, I pray for peace for those who still may be struggling with the, the titles that they've given themselves, the, the, the titles that society has forced on them. I pray that the truth that your word carries, that they see themselves as a son or a daughter of the Most High King. Father, I pray for renewed strength as we march into this world to share about your Son, Jesus. Give us the drive to continue forward and surround each of us with the Christian brothers and sisters to help us shoulder this call that we all carry. As you keep praying today, without anyone looking around, and maybe those of you who would acknowledge honestly that you don't know God personally, You've heard about him. You've heard about his goodness. But you're, you're deep down, you would acknowledge that you don't know him just yet. And maybe you, you've been going through all the motions. Maybe you've been doing the, uh, the Christian thing to do. And you, you've been doing all the good things. You've been a good person. But in this moment, you acknowledge right now that while you have been doing all the things, that relationship that makes it all worth it, that makes it all matter, you realize that Maybe you don't have that, but you want it so desperately. And with everyone still with their heads bowed, if that's you and you've made the decision that you want to know this man, Jesus, you want to follow him, you want to give him your life, what's like to you to be brave enough in this moment to just throw your hands up? No one is looking. It's just between you God. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. If you're online and you made that decision yourself, throw that in the comments. We want to know about it. We want to be there for you, support you, pray with you in this season. Is there anybody else in here? I appreciate your honesty. Anybody else? You'd be brave enough to say, I want to know this man, Jesus. Okay. We're going to say this prayer together and nobody in this house prays alone. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive my sins. Save me, Lord. Make me new. As you have loved me, I choose to love you. I give you my entire life. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you and walk with you. Thank you for new life. I give mine to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give God praise this morning, church. Amen. Can we give Pastor Wes some honor for that awesome message? Yes. All right. Well, if you just prayed that prayer, if you gave your life to Christ, there is 
um, a heavenly host that is celebrating with you. We're so excited. Um, we are so glad that you are a part of the family. Um, and we want to know about that. We want to walk with you through this um, exciting time. So let us know on your connection card if you gave your life to Christ. And we would love to reach out with, to you, talk to you. You can you. also meet us over um, at the Next Steps corner across from the coffee shop. Um, there are people there that would just love to talk with you and get to know you. Um, and speaking of connection cards, if it's your first time here, we would love to know that you were here. So mark that on your connection card. And can we also give it up for our first time guests? Thank you for joining us today. If you fill out that connection card, um, you can take that out to the info center. We have a gift for you. Just thanking you for coming. Um, if it's your first time, you're our VIP, which means you're very important to us. But more importantly, you are uh, very important to God. So we're going to go into a time of giving. And something that's just been on my heart recently with giving is to give from a cheerful heart. Um, because everything we have comes from the Lord, and it is unto the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you today um, to give with a grateful heart. Because isn't it amazing that we have a God who gives us to, to us so freely? Um, he gives our salvation freely. He gives us our blessings freely. We don't have to do anything to earn it. And God doesn't have to do anything to earn our love back either. So I would just encourage you today, give freely. Um, I'm going to pray over the offering, and then I have one more announcement for you. So if you guys will stand with me as I pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that we get to be in the house of the Lord, that we get to worship you freely. God, I pray that as we move into our week, that we would take up the armor um, and we would fight for your name, that we would be a unified body walking forward, um, defending the word of God, defending the cross. And God, I pray that we would just be um, agents of change, that we would be um, just uh, vessels for you, oh, that we would glorify you. God, I pray for this offering. Um, I pray that you would bless it um, and to our community, to our church, to um, just the people who need it. God, I thank you for everyone who gives with their cheerful heart today. God, I just thank you. Um, I honor you and I glorify you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to pull one last plug for the fall festival. It's next Saturday, October 29th from 5 to 8 p.m. We're really excited about it. Um, you can register here and for your children to do the trick-or-treat. And I still need about like five trunks. So if you want to sign up, you can go do that at the table. Um, We're also still taking candy donations. You can bring that anytime during the week. And then I also do need a few more people to do the chili cook-off. And you can sign up for that on our website. So we would love to see you there. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>